Good morning, church family. Good morning morning online. Please open your Bibles to John 1. John 1, verses 35 to 42. John 1, 35 to 42. And again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following. And he said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came, and they saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world This passage we are going to dwell on. Use these words to better understand your word through the power of your spirit for the edification of your church and for your glory alone, we pray in your son's name. Amen. Please be seated. So in your bulletins... You should see the outline, which has four points. I will not go over them, for they are in your bulletin and the associated verses to them. But here's the big idea. Who are you following? Question mark. So the big idea for the sermon, from the start to the finish, is who are you following? This question is not a surface-level question, but has two depths which we will plumb together this morning. Each week in stadiums around the world, perhaps Sunday afternoon, some of you may take off your church attire and throw on your sports attire. Maybe you have a favorite team, and on the back of your favorite team, you might have your favorite player. And so we wear the colors. People get a little crazier than that. Sometimes they paint their faces. Sometimes they paint their bodies. Hopefully that's not here. (laughs) And there is an allegiance that is shown to the favorite teams and the favorite players. Recently, there's been this Taylor Swift craze. I don't understand it. Some of you actually may even know the term Swifties. 
still don't get it. And people wear shirts, attend conference, pay big dollars, and billions and billions of dollars are, are spent to show allegiances for things that are temporal, that are passing, that will fade. And they're like shooting stars. The favorite players that I loved watching back early in our marriage are now retired many years ago. And my jerseys perhaps look a little older now, as do I. So my question is, who are you following? My question is much deeper than this may seem. In verse 35, we enter back into the glorious gospel of John with the words that start again the next day. You'll recall, for those that have been here or watching, that we are on a time clock of Jesus' public ministry. We're now down to T minus two days. In two days, the first miracle is going to happen. And Jesus is now marshalling his disciples. He is readying to teach and to train those that he will call. The time clock is ticking. Again, the next day, look to your Bibles. And like in verse 29, if you see carefully, John is standing, and I want you to pay attention to the next words, with two of his disciples. And the implication to this is these are not two men that have just in passing heard John's word, but these have walked with John the Baptist. They have heard John the Baptist's word. They have followed John the Baptist. And John the Baptist in verse 30 says, he looks at Jesus as he walked and says, behold, the Lamb of God. Now you may recall, I said to you, the word behold is to see or to examine. It's used 29 times in the New Testament, 19 of which are in the book of John. This is now the second instance and the second time. And John the Baptist, unlike before where he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he says, behold the Lamb of God, stop. And the two disciples who were with him heard him. And what did they do? Look to your Bibles. The two disciples who heard him speak, they followed Jesus. Point one, following Jesus, verses 35 to 37. God blessed and flourished the ministry of John the Baptist. Weeks ago, I said to you, John the Baptist was the most famous preacher that had ever lived. And here he is, and he says, behold, the Lamb of God his disciples, and what do they do? They immediately pick up stakes and they follow Jesus. Some of you may be wondering why we're only going to verse 42. Perhaps if you look at your Bible, you see breaks and divisions. There's a big swath that takes us down to verse 51, but on purpose, I'm holding us back to verse 42. And there's a very important reason. For in the verse 43 of your Bible, you're going to see Jesus seeks, finds, and calls. But at this point, 
What we have is John the Baptist saying, follow him. And the disciples follow him. And the question that we need to wrestle with is, do they understand who they are following? Or are they simply following out obedience to their former master and teacher, John the Baptist? That's the question. And so let's explore that. So when Jesus shows up, John the Baptist echoes the words, behold the Lamb of God. John the Baptist knew that this, through divine revelation, is the Messiah, the coming one, the expected one. But he does not say that. What does he say? Behold the Lamb of God. Sacrificial system we explored recently, which said there was a culmination in Christ. Up until then, we had things such as annualized Passovers. We had two sacrifices a day in the temple by the priest, the shedding of blood. But it was not sufficient to take away sins in a permanency. It was a temporal removal of sins that needed to happen again and again and again. And here, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God, and the two disciples immediately follow Christ. So, the question, again, is did they understand who they were following? Or were they following physically because they had a new master? But did they understand who that new master was? So, John's gospel, the word to follow often and normally implies discipleship. For those in the bottom of your bulletins, you will see verses that I'm going to rattle off, so you do not have to write these down. Thank you, Linda, for your hard work in preparing this. John 1.43, John 8.12, John 12.26, all listed in the bottom of your bulletin. John 21.19, John 20, 21.20, John 21.22, all have the term follow with discipleship. But I'm going to propose to you this morning that when you see that they follow Jesus, there's actually a neutral sense of following, which is found in John 11, 31. A mundane sense, a literal, pragmatic, physical following of Jesus. But in addition, there's a deeper level. And often in the book of John, there's a surface level and a deeper level. And we're going to see this pattern. So following in the physical sense... If you're taking notes, and true discipleship under point one. Second Corinthians five seventeen, God's word tells us that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, and the old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. Why do I tell you that? Discipleship is never, let me be so clear on this point. Discipleship is never progressive. It's instantaneous. By the grace of God in the life of each and every true believer. God calls, believers come by his grace, through faith, in Christ alone, by his grace alone. And what we see here is that the following does not necessarily, at this point in time, indicate a permanent discipleship. It's coming. But at this particular time, I believe that they were following Christ, largely because they were told to follow Christ. But that's going to change very soon. 
They eventually will dedicate their lives as true disciples when Jesus calls them to be in service, which is listed after these events are detailed. Let me read to you from Mark 1, 16 to 20, Matthew 4, 18 to 22, parallel this. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, thank you, and his brother Andrew, casting it in the sea, for they were fishermen, and he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of people or men, depending on your translation. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Matthew 9, 9. As Jesus went on the shore, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's office. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and he followed him. That is discipleship. Jesus calls. Jesus seeks. They follow. Not perfectly. But that is discipleship. At this particular juncture, though, John the Baptist says, follow him, they follow him, and then the word of God adds, look to your Bibles. So back to verse 31, and we will pick it up, or sorry, verse 37. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned to them and saw them following, and he says to them, what do you seek? Point two, verses 38 to 39. Don't you love Jesus? I mean, of all the questions he could have asked them, he says, what do you seek? And here we see the beginning again of a multi-leveled meaning in John's language. Regularly in his gospel, people are talking at a physical level. And Jesus is taking their language and leading them to a deeper spiritual level using the exact same words. The question, what do they seek, has two implications. So under point two, what is on their minds presently? And what do they really want by following? The Messiah confronts them for their desire to follow him, to which they reply, rabbi. Now, rabbi was a term up until the end of the first century that was applied to all teachers. So when we read this today, we think immediately that that would mean they have an allegiance, that they understand that this is a teacher, and that's true. And traditionally, the term is used to describe Jesus Christ. John 1, 49, John 3, 2, John 4, 31, 6, 25, 9, 2, 11, 2. And rabbi may be translated or transliterated, my great one. It was a common term of honor that was used by a master, or sorry, address a master by his student. But look at their reply. Look down at your Bibles. Jesus turned and saw them following, and he says to them, what do you seek? Rabbi, which translated means teacher. And their response isn't, are you the Messiah? Are you the Lamb of God? Are you the coming one? Are you the expected one? Are you the Christ? They say, where are you staying? Isn't that a fascinating answer to that question? Maybe you could actually, if you stop and think about it, feel maybe a little bit like them. 
perhaps I do. See, I think at one level they were curious. Is this really him? What does it mean? Who is this person? But there's also a practical need. Somebody pointed out this week to me, and I thought, what an insightful comment. They followed John the Baptist. Where's John the Baptist? In the wilderness. What's he eating? Tasty bugs. And he's washing it down with what? Honey? Mmm. So, pragmatically, if you become a disciple and you're following John the Baptist, you're not staying at the Four Seasons of the Hilton, are you? So, at one level, what time of day is it? God's word is so precise. Look down to verse 39. He says to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. Let me give you clarity on what this means. The 10th hour is not 10 a.m. The Roman calendar, uh, or the clock, is broken into two 12-hour cycles. Daybreak to sunset, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. So the 10th hour means 4 p.m. So two hours, roughly, depending on the time of year, Around before sunset, they're saying, where are you staying? And Jesus says, come, you'll see. And they come and they dwell. They tabernacle with Christ. John 15, 6 to 7. If you take notes, this is noteworthy. The same Greek word, meno, in English, is abiding. John 15, 6 through 7, and 9, 10. If anyone does not abide in me, he has thrown away as a branch. He dries up, and they gather him, and they cast it in the fire, and they're burned. But if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done. Where are you staying? Where are you abiding? Same Greek word. Just as the Father has loved me, verse 9, chapter 15. I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Same Greek word. Jesus asks, they ask Jesus, where are you staying? Where are you abiding? Meno, Greek word. And Jesus says, come and you will see. We cannot know the hearts of men, but we do know for certain that they're looking for more time with Christ. They want to, they're curious. Their former master has says, go and follow him. They follow him. That's obedience. They could have said, no, 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 no. We are your disciples, John. We follow you. And, and what do they do? They immediately follow him. Now, the world, as I've said in previous sermons, would never, ever teach this. Don't give up what you have. Keep what you have. Build what you have. But John the Baptist realized that he was there to point to the coming one. And in fact, after this narrative, John the Baptist is gone, effectively, in the Bible. Jesus' simple response in verse 39 is, come and you will see. 10th hour, 4 p.m., and that little precision tells you something very important. 
Some people think, oh, they read the Bible and they think, oh, this is a story. But maybe it wasn't a true story. But don't you love when God's word puts a precision such as the time of day? See, don't forget, the time clock has started. Again, the next day. And then John, by divine inspiration, gives you the time clock. Because don't forget, we're now T-minus two days to the public ministry of Christ. It's 4 p.m. And what does Christ decide to do? Spend the night talking to two people. And what do they do? This is reminiscent on the road to Emmaus. Have you ever thought of that? You remember on the road to Emmaus, you have Christ walking alongside and you have two disciples. One is named and one is unnamed. Guess what we have here? One is named, one is unnamed, dwelling with Christ, wanting to spend time with Christ. And you remember what happens? He unpacks scriptures to them. And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, Luke 24, 27, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. We don't know what Christ said. We can speculate what happened that night, and that's all it would be, a speculative. But what we know with a surety is what God's word tells us. And look down to God's word in verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Again, details matter. God's word is very precise. Notice what God's word says about access to information regarding his plans. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 19. And there's an important reason why I'm getting you to do this. 2 Peter 1, 16 through 19. And God's word says... For we did not make known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, following cleverly devised myths, but being eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we received honor and glory from the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. What does that remind you of? The baptism. Remember? You had the Father speaking, the Spirit descending in the form of a dove. On who? The Son. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Verse 18 continues. And we ourselves have heard this utterance made from heaven, and we were with him on the holy mountain. Transfiguration speak. But look to verse 19, and this is why I got you to turn here. And we have as more sure the prophetic word to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in the dark place until the day dawns, until the morning star arises in your hearts. Why do I say this to you? Perhaps like me, you wished you could be there with these two disciples that night 
hearing Christ's words or on the road to Emmaus, dwelling, tabernacling with Christ when he unveils the scriptures to them and unpacks it to them. But God's word teaches us that we have a more sure prophetic word. What is it? It's not Pastor Chris's word. It's the Bible. The Bible is a closed canon. If you want to hear God speak, open up God's word. If you want to tabernacle with God today, read God's revealed word. If you want to pray something that will edify you, pray God's word. Prince of Preachers Charles Spurgeon adds, listen to this quote. Oh, my dear hearers, if you want to find Christ, you must search the scriptures, for they testify of him. Oh, that you did search the scriptures more with the definitive object of finding the Savior. He who reads the Bible with a view of finding Christ will not long before some passage of scripture will seem to leap up and attract his attention as though it were set on fire and then speak to him of Jesus, whispering of him of the great sacrifice of Calvary and speaking to his heart of the divine love and the mercy. We must be a searcher after Christ in the place where Christ loves to be in the pages of scripture. And you must be the same if you desire to find Jesus. There is no other secret to success. Why do I tell you this? Because I've looked and I've listened and I've watched these stories and I've thought, oh, if only I had that time with Christ, then my faith would be stronger. But then I've been convicted by this. No, God's word says the more sure prophetic word we have, which is the totality of scripture. And so my exhortation to you as believers is this. How much are we tabernacling, dwelling in Christ's word, in God's word, in the Spirit's word? For when we are there, we are sure of the identity of Christ and our identity in Christ. So why do I say this? 2 Timothy 3.16, God's word says, all scripture is God-breathed. So, if anybody says to you this, pay real careful attention to this, please. I have a word from the Lord. Say, great. I actually have many words from the Lord. It's called the Bible. Anything beyond that, turn, heal, and flee. Because this is the revealed word from God. Totality, start to finish. God's word, read. You've heard the red letter Bibles. Maybe some of you have the red letter Bibles where you open it up and you say, oh, those words are more meaningful because they're from Jesus Christ. Wrong. All scripture is God breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproving, for correcting. Every good work for every good work. God's word read, God's word preached, God's word prayed, God's word period. For God's inspired word is what illuminates darkened minds. 
This week, Don shared with me a scripture which encouraged this sermon. Psalm 119, verse 105. God's word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So here's what I want you to remember from this part of the sermon. Darkened minds do not go from darkness to grayness. Darkened minds do not go from darkness to grayness. They go from darkness to light. No longer walking as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds being darkened in their understanding. Ephesians 4, 17 through 18. The law of the Lord is perfect. Psalm 19, 7 through 8. The testimony of the word of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. And the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Notice the personal pronouns in Romans 8, 28 to 30. Listen to God's word. We know that in everything God works for good in those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that we might be the firstborn among many brethren and those whom he predestined he called and those he called he also justified and those he justified he also glorified it's all about God sanctification is progressive being made holy is progressive justification is instantaneous from darkness to light not from darkness to grayness by faith alone, Christ alone, by God's mercy alone, and by his grace alone. So following this narrative and this duplicity of meaning, this physical following, this true discipleship following, here is, here is what I believe is happening. Verse 35 to 42, John the Baptist tells them to follow Jesus, not himself. Verse 36, the disciples see the Lamb of God, the Messiah, but they ask him where he's staying. Don't forget, that's the minnow. That's abiding. And they are told to come and see, and they followed verse 37. So I believe there's a progression of following. But Jesus is getting ready to seek and save the lost. We are right on the precipice. One day later, we are going to see this transition happen in verse 43 to 51 where Jesus seeks and they follow. At this point, we at least know they physically follow Jesus. But we also know something else. Look down to your Bibles. Verse 41, 40 to 41, we have found the Messiah, point three. Shortly after spending time with Jesus by divine inspiration, Andrew announces, we have found the Messiah, this term Messiah is a transliteration of a Hebrew, an Aramaic verbal adjective deriving from the anointed one. It comes from a verb that's often used when one is anointed to a particular office or function. In the Old Testament, it's applied to the king of Israel, the Lord's anointed, 1 Samuel 16, 2 Samuel 1, and the high priest, Leviticus 4. The term eventually gets applied to point people to the prophesied coming one. 
The term Christ is a Greek word that comes from a verb meaning to anoint and is using here as a translation of the Hebrew term. So that, the term Messiah and Christ are titles. That's why I wanted you to catch this. Not personal names for Jesus Christ. Andrew's pronouncement is not from human wisdom, but from divine revelation. It's unclear if he understood at this point what he was proclaiming, but what it is clear is down to verse 41. The next day, he purposed, oh, sorry, he found first his own brother, Simon, and he said to him, we have found the Messiah. Why do I read that with such emphasis? What did he do when he had an identity of Christ in facing in front of him, the Messiah? He goes and he finds the one whom he loves to share the good news. Guess what? We found the Messiah. That's a playbook for us. When we search scriptures and we find Christ from cover to cover, what do we do? We share that good news with those that God entrusts us to. Family, friends, loved ones, because we love them. We actually don't love them properly if we hide this news in our hearts and we do not share of the hope that's within us. This is the right action. This is the right reaction by Andrew to this remarkable news. And we need to be extremely clear that the one is brought to Jesus is not based on human initiative, but a divine calling. Growing up, maybe you played hide and seek. Yeah, any hide and seekers in the room? Okay, I see a few hands. Right? Some like to hide, some like to seek, some like to do both. I always kind of found it not that fun, to be honest with you, because if I'm really good at hiding, you never find me. Right? And the other side, some people are really good hiders. We had a great game of hide and seek in our home a few years ago, and our son hid behind the piano. And it took forever to find him to the point where he was so uncomfortable that he had to call and tell us where he was hiding. Our piano was moved, his back was probably contorted, and we had fun. One seeks, one hides. You win when you find the hidden object. The Bible is not a game of hide and seek. Romans 3, 11, God's word says, for there is none who understand for there is none who seeks for God. But praise God that Luke 19.10 is true. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. John 10.26-29 to You do not believe because you are not part of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father has given them to me. He's greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. No one, not only does he seek the lost, not only does he call them, but he adopts them. 
Ephesians 1.5, God's word says he predestined us to adoption as sons, daughters, added in, implied. Through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. Some of you might be adopted. Some of you may have adopted a child. I'm going to speak to those that have adopted a child here. You're going to resonate with this perhaps more than most sermons. Adoption has a multiplicity of purposes, does it not? It has a desire for a child. It has a sacrifice financially. It has a waiting that happens over time. The desire grows. Maybe you prepared a bedroom. You've gone. You've visited the child. You've learned their story. And then that day arrives when you get to bring them home. It's a choice that you've made, a sacrifice that you've made. And it's a joyous occasion for they have now been added into the fold of your family. That's how God's words describes us. God seeks and saves the lost. We are adopted into his family by his grace. God has sent his son to redeem and to call and to save the lost. And when we move from being lost to found, from unrighteousness to righteousness, we move into the family of God by adoption through his divine will. And when we are in the family, we are a new creation and we are given a new identity. Did you ever think of that statement? I wonder if you have. Look down to point four, a new identity, verse 42. And this is the last point. Simon, back to 41, says, we found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. He brings him to Jesus and Jesus looks at him and says, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Verse 42, the reason why I have made the assertion that I think that their discipleship is not necessarily baked in completely yet is because of the future tense of the verb. You shall be called Cephas. It's a future imperfect verb, second person singular, which is implying that this title that is being applied here to Simon, which is Cephas, which translates Peter, eventually will be described what Peter means. You remember in the Bible what it means? Peter may be translated as the rock. It doesn't say it here. At this point, it's simply, this is raw divine authority. See, in this culture at this time, who is the one that names the child? The father. And what happens here? Jesus comes to Simon and says, by the way, you're now Cephas. Full stop, no explanation, no clarification, and no response of rebuttal. His identity is cast instantly on the authority of Christ. And guess what? So is yours. 
and so is mine as a new creation. Up to this point, Peter was known by his name given by his father. Can you imagine him coming back to tell his father? Oh, by the way, just spent some time with someone. I have a new name. Seriously, we read it as if this is normal, right? Can you imagine the reaction? Perhaps the person that's beside him going, how come I didn't get a name? How come it's not named? We all have a new name. He does not explain why he changes his name. He simply states his new identity. No longer associated with the earthly family at all. You are now Cephas. John's gospel, we do not learn of the meaning of the new name Peter as a rock. I love that little, I mean, the other gospels have it. John just says, new name, guess what? That's the power of Christ. That's the identity of Christ. What John makes so clear at the outset of his ministry is Jesus has assigned a new name to Simon. Jesus knows people thoroughly. We know that from verses 43 to 51 and the rest of the Gospels and the rest of the Bible. And not only does he see into them, John 1, 47 to 48, but so calls them that he makes them what he calls them to be. Jesus has the authority to give Simon and by extension us today whatever name he pleases. And in giving you a name determines your identity, destiny. The point is this. The glory is going to Christ, not the glory to Peter. The point of the glory of Christ is true of our lives, not our glory. Look to the Bible, look to Revelation. Perhaps you've never looked at it this way, but I want you to look carefully as we near the finish line. Revelation 2 and down to verse 17. Revelation 2, verse 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone which no one knows but to the one who receives it. You who are in Christ are a new creation. You have a new identity. God often speaks about leaving and cleaving. First, it talks about that in the form of marriage, but then it also says once you are in Christ, your allegiance, your devotion, your following, your discipleship is to Christ. No longer are we under our old dominion, but we are now under Christ. Don't miss the raw authority of Jesus Christ in verse 42. John Piper adds helpfully, you are Simon, you shall be called Peter, period. Not if you like it, not if it works out for you. This is absolute authority of Jesus to choose Simon and name Simon and determine Simon's destiny. And there is no identity for your life better than the one Jesus gives you. We receive grace upon grace from the fullness of his authority. So let me close where I started. 
and ask the question, who are you following? Matthew 6.24, God's word says, no one can serve two masters. He'll either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and another master or money or elsewhere. So who are you following? Here are five, questions, or five points under this for you to pray about this week. You have heard the word of God proclaimed. You have heard that the Lord Jesus is the Lamb of God. You've heard that Jesus died to take away the sin of the world. You've heard that John pointed his disciples to the Messiah. And finally, you have heard that his disciples turned and followed Jesus. But who are you following? It's time to decide once and for all. You're either a disciple of Jesus or you're a disciple of something or someone else. And this question matters eternally for your destiny. I implore you not to take this question this morning lightly. If you are following Jesus, then I pray that you live like his disciple. And I pray I do. Not with our eyes fixed on the world, with the idols, not with our jerseys, not with our paint of this temporal reality, but with our allegiance and our eyes affixed to eternity and our Lord, living in a worthy manner as befitting a son or daughter of the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, until we die or until he comes back again. And if you're not a follower of Christ, I want to encourage you this morning. Revelation 3.20 states, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and he will Dine with me. If God is knocking in your life, open the door by repenting and believing. Repent of your sins, turn from your old self, and believe by faith in Christ. The unspeakable good news of Jesus is this. See that cross behind me? He died for you and me. He rose again, and he'll come again. You're given a brief point of time. Don't waste it. Respond. Ask for forgiveness. Come to Christ by faith alone, and then go follow him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our marching orders are given by your son. And those that are in Christ are meant to go and follow him. Which means we turn direction and we turn to. We turn from our old self and we turn to follow Christ. How we get to know you is through your word. How we get to understand how to live is through your word. 
And so, God, help us to be diligent in the studying of your word and the applying of your word in our lives. May we be disciples that match our lives to what we proclaim so that when people see us, they see a glimpse, a shadow, if you will, of Christ. But may we not just live like it, may we proclaim of Christ. And for those, Lord, that may be convicted this morning and may be encouraged, may there be a response. May they repent from sins, turn to you, follow you, and live for you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.